Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, my friends? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. We're on episode 138, and I'm, uh, I'm glad you're here. We've got a great episode for you today where uh, we're going to be talking about improv, all right? Now, if you're someone who's like, well, I'm not really into improv, I'm not a comedian, I'm not, you know, uh, into like sketch comedy or anything like that, then uh, hang with us, all right? Because I learned a lot myself. I, I had some of those preconceived ideas going into this conversation, and I came out on the other side going, you know, I think I don't think of myself as an improv person, but I actually realized I, I, I use improv a lot in my speaking, and there's a lot of ways to incorporate uh, improv in your speaking. So some great tips and ideas on how to actually do that. So today we're talking with Mike Ganino, and uh, Mike has been speaking for a few years and actually comes from a improv background. So uh, he talks about how he got into speaking but then also talks about how he uses improv and how improv can actually make you a better speaker. We also talked through how to use improv every day. I, I think it's Mike, one of the one things that Mike describes is that improv is kind of like a muscle that you have to use on a regular basis to really get the, the benefit from it. So we talk about that. We talk about how to find the right balance between practice and rehearsal and, and then also just being impromptu and, and using improv whenever you're speaking. We also talk about why improv doesn't necessarily have to be just about humor or, or being funny. Now, oftentimes, uh, again, we think about improv as being associated with humor, comedy, that type of thing. But uh, improv can be used in a, as a skill set can be used in a lot of different ways that have nothing to do with, with humor. So a lot of great stuff that I think you, you're going to get, get something something from today. So let's get right into it. Here's my uh, conversation with Mike Ganino. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, my friends? I'm here hanging out with Mike Ganino. And uh, wait a minute. Is that how I pronounce it? Yeah, you got it. All right. I'm making yeah. sure. I'm just double checking. Check while <laughs> we record. All right. So Mike actually joined Booked and Paid to Speak a while back. He's been a very successful speaker and um, has really made a name in the restaurant space and in the food industry space and really kind of, I think, branching out from there. So Mike, we're going to be talking about improv today and kind of demystifying that and how speakers can utilize improv in their speaking and utilize it to make themselves a better speaker and ultimately a better performer. But before we get to that point, why don't you get, catch us up on uh, who Mike is and, and your speaker speaking journey and what, what you speak about and how speaking fits into the business today. Yeah, for sure. Thanks. And, uh, and thanks for the proper pronunciation. I get, uh, I get Gambino, I get yeah. Gambino, I get all kinds of things. So that was one thing I meant to check before we started recording. And I was like, ah, we're going, we're rolling was, with it. That I'm was pretty the, sure it's Ganino, but it was a truly improvised moment, Grant. It is. It is. And you just roll with it. Good. That's going to lead in well. Good tie-in. I love nice it. Job. It was actually planned. We can pretend. We can, <laughs> we can say we did it. So, uh, yeah. So, I came from the restaurant industry. I was there for, for 20 years and I, I helped build brands. So, Potbelly, Homemade Pizza Company, Let Us Entertain You, and helped grow them from small companies to big companies. And along the way, I realized that how you build the company inside of the company is far more important than what you do with customers because whatever you want, you have to do with your employees first. And so 
in 2013, we sold the company that I was a partner in and I left and said, you know, I'll figure out what's next. I left Chicago, came to LA, found myself doing consulting and I really hated it. I was turning in, you know, it was like I was designing training or designing HR systems for right. a juice company was who I was working with. And I just thought, I don't want to have to deliver anything to anyone. I don't ever want to turn anything in. So I convinced them to let me do a workshop for their leaders and their leaders would design their own training. And then I thought, oh, that's cool. Someone could pay me to just show up and talk. That's really awesome. And then someone who was part of that company left and went and joined one of the state food service associations. And she said, hey, will you come talk at our event? You know, it's like an hour, you'll give a talk and here's how much we can pay you. And I was like, wait, you're going to pay me to come talk? Yeah. And so I was so naive about the whole thing that I just thought the only people who really went and were speaking were people with books or people who had been on TV shows or something like that. And I thought, oh, cool. These people want to hear my little stories about how to build better teams. And so that got me kicked off. That's actually when I found you was I said, hey, wait a second. I think this is a thing. Is it a thing? And uh, I I found you and and you said, yep, it is. And here's how you can start doing something with it. And that was a little over two years ago. And since then, I've just kept rocking that. And I've started to work the improv work into the culture piece more. And that's really my framework is how we work together as an improv ensemble in in a theater, creating stuff on the fly. That's how we should be working in business. That's how we should be working in business today. And so I've kind of made the transition from like the restaurant guy to really talking about like, how should you build organizations for today and for the future? And so that's where I spend my time. And then I do a little bit of work with uh, public speakers as well through Michael and Amy Port's program. Yeah. I, uh, I teach improv and how to use that on stage to connect better with the audience. Do you have a background in improv? Like how did the improv kind of come into your world in the first place? <laughs> yeah. So uh, when I was 19, I moved to Chicago. I was a flight attendant for a year. Uh, I didn't pull I didn't, dra- I didn't drag anyone off a plane. Uh, they're not <laughs> around anymore. It was called uh, American Trans Air. We did a ton of charter flights. So it was cool. We got to go to Hawaii and Alaska and Saudi Arabia and wow. Ireland because we moved uh, to vacationers and we moved military around. Okay. So it's pretty cool. And I was in Chicago and I started auditioning. I wanted to do some theater because we had a ton of free time as a flight attendant. And so I looked too young in 19. I'm 37 now and I look like I'm not 37. So when I was 19, I looked like I was younger, but I couldn't on stage pull it off. I should have lived in LA because I could have been like, an adult who was playing a teenager. Right, right. But in theater, you can't do that. If it's a kid, it's an actual kid. You can't do that in theater. So I wasn't getting booked for anything. And so I went to an improv, an improv show at Second City. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, I could probably do that because they're pretending that they're children anyway. Right. I could do that. And so I started taking, uh, taking classes and then performing at Second City Improv Olympic in Chicago and then a bunch of other small theaters. And then out here in LA with Upright Citizens Brigade, which is the Mm -hmm. school that Amy Poehler helped found. And then really realized that that jived with how I taught culture and how I taught leadership was being improvisational, using the moment, collaborating, working together better. And so it all just kind of came together for me. Cool. Are you, so in your current day speaking, are you using improv within your talks? Like how does improv make its way into your presentations at this moment? Yeah. So, so on Monday, for example, I'm headed off to Charleston to do a talk. I'm the opening keynote and I'm talking about how to lead in the social age. So how I think you lead in the social age is getting over the whole millennial thing. There's 75 million people. We can't stereotype them all. The fact is how to lead in the social age is by being more, more improvisational, by listening better, by agreeing, by figuring out how you can create something together. So in those workshops in corporate work or in corporate keynotes, really, I don't have people do improv activities. 
but in workshops I do. So okay. when, if, if somebody from that event said, hey, we want you to come do this with our team for a full day, we would then do a full day on leadership and we would practice some of these things. How do you listen? How do you contribute? How are you adding to what other people are saying? How are you avoiding blocking? So in improv, we talk about blocking, which is if you said something to me, you said, hey, great to see you today, bro. And I was like, uh, no, I'm your dad. That's blocking. Right. You put okay. an idea out and I said, no. Think of how often that happens in corporate settings, in right. educational settings, in schools, how often a teacher has an idea and an administrator is like, well, no, we could never do that. That encourages people not to. So yeah, so it comes out a lot. I don't, right now I'm not selling it as improv. I'm working on how to weave it all together because I think there's still a stigma around like improv is theater. So I'm working on how to put that all together so it can be in one place. So for now I sell culture and leadership and I give them what I think they need, which is improv. Gotcha. Okay. So I think for someone listening, they're going, all right, well, I, the idea of doing improv sounds terrifying, horrible, (laughs) fill in the blank, negative adjective. And so you do it in a way where you really incorporate improv into your presentation. And it's a key piece, whether you, like you said, it may look different in a keynote versus a workshop, but I think for some speakers that are going, okay, I know that I'm not this improv second city performer, (laughs) but having like having improv as a skill set as a speaker is extremely valuable. So can you kind of talk a little bit about that and how improv has impacted your speaking career and business? Yeah. So for me, improv is really like breathing. It's a muscle. So I remember I did my first show and I I did it and I, I went the next day and I was like, oh, hey, like, do I have to fill out any paperwork or like, where do I sign up for direct deposit? And they're like, oh, I don't, you don't get paid for this. Like, I was like, wait, I just performed for like an hour. And, and you, they're like, yeah, the tickets were $5. Yeah. Like, how do you think we pay for the theater? And so the thing about improv is like, nobody's getting rich off of improv. Right. And the people that we think of as improvisers, Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, Jimmy Fallon, Jason Sadakis, those people became famous as actors or as writers, but not as improvisers. So right. improvisation is really more like a muscle. It's like breathing. And it's something that you can use and it'll help you get better at whatever it is that you're trying to work on. So when I teach leadership, it's helping them get better at listening and collaborating. When I work with public speakers, it's helping them create on the fly better. It's helping them be more adaptable, be a little less scared of like, what if something goes wrong? Because it will go wrong. And having a framework that you know, okay, here's how I can handle it is really freeing in a way. And so as a public speaker, improv is such a great skill set because it helps you to notice what's going on with your audience it helps you create content. It helps you adapt. So we all sell our customized, you know, I'll do a customized speech for you. Right. It helps you figure out what are the parts that you should customize? What should be standard show? And what are the pieces where you can say, okay, great. I'm talking to the, the American Association of Light Bulb People, right. which still blows probably, my mind. That which that is exists. probably a thing. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's crazy that that stuff exists. Window Washer Association. Yeah. It's really, really quite, quite fun. But um. How do you adapt it? Because you don't want to change your whole speech, but it lets you know, how should I use this? If something happens on stage, you know how to use it. I get booked a lot to be an MC for an event. Uh-huh. So I'll host a whole three-day event. I'm going off next week. That's what I'm doing. And so it allows you to use what the speaker before you said and weave it into your speech without being patronizing without being or being offensive, I guess, if you use it in the wrong way. So it allows you to just be in the moment a little better, which I also think helps you enjoy what you're doing right. um, as a speaker. 
Yeah, I think that's totally true. I, I know for me, I'm, th- I'm thinking through like moments that have happened on stage that either weren't supposed to happen or something happened in the audience or something happened in the environment or the room that, or even something just happened that day in the news or the media or something or something happened in the previous session, something that you can reference and call out that I think it's a, such a genuine moment because the audience feels like, well, that's not part of the stick. You know, like <laughs> that just happened, right? You know, like I remember several years ago, I spoke at an event where in Washington, D.C., and at the hotel, uh, it was like during the, like the G8 summit where all these international world leaders come, and the president of China was staying at the same hotel. And so the hotel was on serious lockdown, like <laughs> secret service, people with guns everywhere. So like I opened it up by saying, hey, here are 10 things you shouldn't do when sharing a hotel with the president of China, right? <laughs> well, they know like that doesn't work in Seattle the next week. You know, it works because everybody's been in, in, in uh, encountering that same situation. So I think for a lot of speakers, like they see the value of improv, but it also still feels very, very scary because it feels like you're walking a tightrope with no net, right? Because it's not yeah. scripted. It's anything you may throw something out trying to be off the cuff or on the fly and it bombs or it goes amazing. So how do we kind of get over some of those fears of going like, okay, I recognize the value of improv, but it's still really freaking scary when I'm up there and I'm in front of a live audience and I'm getting ready to do something or say something. And I really, at the end of the day, I don't know how it's going to land. Sure. Well, I think a couple of things. One, I think if you live in a city where there is an improv class and so many cities now have these improv theaters and they have these classes, you should definitely go take the class. I think that everybody can get about six months good So if you take six months of classes, you're going to progress. At the six-month mark, it does come down to like, is this for you? Like, can you do this? But everyone's got six months in them where they can improve with improv. So that's one thing because then it'll teach you when you are on stage, you'll have something to go like, oh, yeah, this is like that that time I I did that scene. How can I use this? Because I think if you're just walking off on the stage and you haven't had the training to then say, I'm going to wing it is risky because you haven't had the training to know oh, when people think that improvisers are winging it, they're actually using this like skill set and they're using a framework to do that. And so that's number one. Number two is you could practice it every day. I put together a little guide that folks from the show can go to. So we'll get them linked up or whatever. But if they go to mikeganino.com slash the speaker lab, there's a little guide of how you can, uh, <laughs> it's somewhat inappropriate, I guess, how you can play with yourself, but how you can do improv alone is what I mean to say. Maybe that's gotcha. it. <laughs> And it's all these little moments that you can start to notice things more often. And so that's number two. And then number three is one of the things that doing improv teaches you is that it's just not that important. And so you know from doing hundreds and hundreds of speeches, I know from from doing this for two years, that you are going to suck sometimes and nobody else cares, by the way. As long as you delivered on your promise to the person who paid you and you showed up, you did your hour, you added value, sometimes you're going to leave and you're going to say, oh, that that wasn't what I thought it should be. The only cure for that is getting on stage again, by the way. When we have a bad improv show, when we have a show that is like nothing was funny, the audience hated us. If you would think of Second City in Chicago, so many of those shows happen at like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. People are drunk. They are drunk. They're from, you know, I did shows a bunch near one of the college campuses on Friday nights. And it was like, these are all a bunch of drunk college students that's a hard room. And so you realize like, yeah, I'm going to go do my thing and I'm going to leave it all out there and I'm going to move on to the next thing because the only way to get over it is just to do another show. And I think what improv teaches you as a performer is that it isn't that important that you're going to go up there, you're going to do what you can do, you're going to use the frameworks and then you'll go back and you'll do it again and, and you move on. In improvisational theater, what's great is that that show will never be created again. 
Like yeah. if you and I are doing a scene, that scene will never exist again because it wasn't scripted. Right. And if you can remember that on stage that you're actually having this interaction with the audience and that interaction will never happen again. Yeah. You may be on stage saying the same 45 minutes of words, but if you're truly connected with the audience, that performance will never happen again. Yeah. And that so, makes sense. yeah. So I think if you can get some classes, if you check out the little guide I put together, some things you could do by yourself. And I don't think it's a wise thing to say, hop out on stage and just be improvisational right. without a little bit of training. That's dangerous. But I, but I think if you, can, if you can lean into it a little bit, lean into the practices, try out some of the stuff I recommend, try out a class if you can, you can start to weave that into your, your performances as a speaker. What would be some of those things that someone could do on their own? If I'm going, okay, I know having improv is in my back pocket and then the toolbox is really, really helpful. The idea of going to a class is really intimidating. I'm intrigued by trying some of it. What would be some of those simple things that we could try at home to begin to build that, that muscle? Yeah, I mean, little things. So one of the things that you could do is, so in improv, the, the tenet, the like core rules, what we all agree is, is improv theater, is the idea of agree and contribute. Yeah, and yes and. So, yes and. So that's everyone, the one thing that anyone knows about improv is, is usually, there's usually three things, Second City, Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, and yes and. So right. yes and is about agreeing with what's going on. You don't have to agree that you like it. You don't have to agree that it's great. You just have to agree that it's a reality. Yeah. And then to say and is to contribute. So the only way to get out of something is to add something on top of it. So agree that it's reality and then add something on top of it. That's a mindset thing. That's not a theater trick. That's something you can do every day. So if you're talking to your spouse, you're talking to an event planner, you're talking to an, whoever you're talking to, whoever you speak to, is trying to do that, trying to accept what they've said, trying to agree that that's a reality. And then what can I do to contribute to that idea? So if you said to me, let's do a podcast about improv. And I said, well, you know, I think it'd be much more interesting if we talked about this. Then you're like, all right, well, what? first of all, you'd probably be like, well, you're not coming on my show then. <laughs> and, and then secondly, you'd be like, well, that's, what about my idea? Right, Versus right. if I said, oh, that's really cool. And we could talk about how to use improv as a public speaker. And then you could say, yeah, and we could share a couple of tips of what they could do. Then we could build something together that maybe is not, close to the original thing, but now we've contributed, we've made it better together. So that's one thing I think we can do is just think that way. The other thing that most people are really bad at is listening. You're a really good listener because you host a podcast and so you're listening for all these little cues. Most of us are horrible at listening. Right. And if you don't listen to an event planner, if you don't listen to audience members, if you don't listen on stage to the audience, then you're going to miss a lot of information that could be useful for you to connect with them. And to, to use something in the moment, like the, the Chinese president in the, in the right, hotel. Right. So listening is super important. One of the things that I like to tell people to do there is last word, first word. If you try this, it's going to blow your mind today, Grant, because you're going to be like, wow, I suck as a listener <laughs> and other people don't know when to shut up. So how you do last word, first word is you wait for whoever you're talking to to finish their sentence. And your first word of your sentence needs to start with the last word from the last word of right. their that. So like if I said, you know, I love to go out to restaurants, then your sentence would start with R. You'd say. Okay. With restaurants or with R? With R. You could just okay. use R. And so you'd say, really? Yeah. <laughs> that would be easy. What's really funny about that, if you practice it, and I, and I encourage you to do that today, everybody who's listening, go try it out, is that other people won't shut up. <laughs> Because we're so used to everyone interrupting us. Yeah. 
that they'll just keep talking and keep talking, which if you're speaking with an event planner, if you're trying to sell your speech to somebody, what a great thing. If they're talking, you're learning, right? You're pulling out stuff that you could say, oh, you know what? I actually, I think I can help with that situation you shared. So that's a really great one. You could do that by yourself. You could do it anywhere. It's really crazy what happens to other people when you try that. I mean, it sounds like basically what you're describing is, I think sometimes, again, there's this misconception of improv is this thing that happens in a theater in front of an audience and it's intimidating and it's scary and yada, yada. And in reality, like we're all, life is improv. Like every single day we're interacting with human beings. Like even right now, I don't have any preset list of questions that we have to get to. We're kind of going back and forth and you'll throw something out there and I'll throw something out there and we're kind of riffing on a certain subject or topic. But I think it's a great point that you're going to make in there that everyday conversations with people are essentially improv. And that's really what you're doing whenever it comes to being on stage. So the more you're practicing and the more you're consciously aware of it, it seems like the better it does make you once you, once you get on stage. But so let's go to the other end of the spectrum though, because I think there's, there's people who are like, the idea of doing improv is terrifying. I, I don't want to learn that skill set. I don't want to flex that muscle. And there's other people that are like, I just want to get up on stage and wing it. Now, I think you and I both come from the, the mindset of like, don't recommend that. I think you really need to put a lot of, of practice, preparation, rehearsal into your talk, into your presentation. So what would you say to that crowd who says, well, I just, I do my best when I get up and, and wing it? Because I would also agree though, that, that some of my best humor or moments have come in the moment where I wasn't planning on it, wasn't scripted. You said something off the cuff and it landed really, really well. And I'm going, dang, I need to make sure I do that next week when I'm giving the same presentation. So how do you find that balance of preparation and rehearsal and I know where I'm going and I know what the next line is going to be, but also feeling some of the flexibility to go with the moment and what's going on in the environment or the setting or with the audience? Yeah, I think it's, you know, I don't know. The scientific part of my brain says like 70, 30% sounds about right. <laughs> but I think, I think that you're never going to be better than you've prepared to be. Like, and that doesn't mean that you're never going to be better than you were in rehearsal. Because rehearsal, sometimes there's not that like dynamic. A lot of people who go into public speaking have that performer's heart, right? It's like, oh, I'm in the audience. I'm on. I'm feeling hot. I got all the things. I'm good to go. And so I'm not saying that you'll never be better than rehearsal, but I'm saying you'll never be better than the amount of time you put into rehearsal. And so I think that you've got to plan where the improvisational moments come from. And I've seen a lot of speakers who do get on stage and say, oh, I wing it. I have a couple of bullet points and I wing it. And I think that they often think that they're better than they are in certain spots. And I think that they tend to blame the audience when something doesn't work. That's what I've seen is like, oh, that thing I said, like only two people laugh, that audience didn't get it. And it's like, mm. Right. Is that true or is it just something that you didn't prep? So if you think of stand-up comedians, they're so rehearsed. You know, every moment of that is planned and prepped because it all has to land somewhere. So I would argue that everyone is better with planning and rehearsal. And then that, that some percentage of your talk should be for that audience for that moment. Now, as speakers, we have a whole range of things we do. We can do keynotes. We could do breakouts. We could do workshops. We could do facilitating, we can do MC work, and all of those are very different. I think in a keynote where you're the main stage thing, you owe it to that audience to say, I know this is going to work. Yeah. I know it's going to work. And the improvised moments should be things that maybe happened right before you went on stage, or they should be things that happened the day before. So like, I'll do something where I acknowledge, like you did with the 10 things you shouldn't do if you're at a hotel with the, with the Chinese president. I'll talk about things for that city. 
So like if I know everybody came into that city together, then let's have a little fun, honor the city we're in. And so this talk I'm doing next week, the mayor is introducing me. The mayor of Charleston, South Carolina is introducing me. So my opening is all around like things I've learned about Charleston in the last 24 hours. And I'm taking a bunch of selfies around town with like funny, ironic things about Charleston. And it's things that the audience is going to have experience too. So it's like, it it was, I haven't made them up yet. So that part I know is going to be made up, but the content, the things that I want the audience to go do, those have to be things I know work. And I think it's malpractice to stand up there and say, Hey audience, here's the actions you should go take. And I'm making those up as I go. Right. To me, that feels really dangerous that you're sending hundreds of people or tens of people, depending on your size to go do something that you don't know works for sure that you haven't said, I know these steps will work for you. So I think it's probably a mixture of both. And I think that most people do their best when it's a mixture of both. So the people who want to wing it, do it, put in some of that stuff. I would say probably make sure your opening and your closing are nailed. Perfect. You know, they work, you know, the jokes land. And then in the middle, you kind of move with the audience, but you have your main points. And if you're somebody where improv scares you to death, then that is why you should go do it even more. And the, the great thing about going to a class is like, you don't have to perform. You're just in a, you're usually in some dank, small, crappy little training room right. in a theater. You're not on the stage and you're not performing. So go do that because no one's watching. Right. Right. Well, I think the, especially whenever it comes to speaking, there is such a balance there that it's possible to be almost over-prepared where sometimes speakers can be like, they're so deep in their own head. They're thinking about the next word and every single line is scripted versus like, I know where I'm going. I'm confident in my material. There's different types of presentations, you know, but I think from an audience perspective and from a speaking perspective, I like when a moment happens that we were talking about earlier, that's just real authentic. It's genuine. And something happened in the audience, a cell phone goes off, someone has a loud sneeze, you know, something happens. And instead of just like plowing through it as if nothing's happening, like just acknowledging it, referencing it, making a joke about it or whatever, and then moving on, just, I think it keeps you as a, as a speaker, I think it keeps you engaged in the moment. So you're not like a robot up there just regurgitating a, a monologue, you know? I don't know. I think today we are so used to, not used to, but we're so unattracted. I don't know. What is the word? Uh, unattracted to, I don't know, there's a better word for that, right? We're so repelled by marketing, right? Yeah. And so like all of these brands are trying to figure out how do I create Instagram stories? How do I do things so that people, because we see marketing, we know what it is. And I think that's because it's so scripted. Right, right. That it feels like none of this is real. You're not acknowledging Polished. that here. Yeah. And as an audience member, if I'm coming to the American Association of Window Washing, I want to know that you see me. I want to know that you're here for me. And I know that you're good. You're on stage and you're good. So I know you must have rehearsed it. But those moments where you can drop that and connect with us and be there with us, it makes it feel like, ooh, we're here together. And I think that's one of the things that people love about improvisational theater is that, you know, in most of the shows, at the top of the show, they'll come out and they'll say, hey, we need a one word suggestion of, you know, anything. And someone yells out, you know, bread. And it's like, all right, great. That show couldn't have been made up without that audience because they're the ones who said bread. I think that's what we love about live TV. If we think of improv, we think of Saturday Night Live often. We love live TV because it feels like, oh my gosh, something could go wrong (laughs) and I'll be part of it. And I think that that's what we need a little bit in our speeches and our performances is somewhere where they say, oh, this person is good. They're prepared. They're a professional. But 
there are these moments where they're just being here with me. And it's not the same as last week when they were at the, you know, international grocers association, right? They had this moment with us and they couldn't have had it with anyone else. Well, and even it's funny, you mentioned like the SNL thing for a second, because I think like some of my favorite SNL sketches over the years are ones where the characters break, <laughs> where they are just, they're laughing and they're, and cause it does, it doesn't feel like this stiff, rigid, I'm just a robot performing my shtick, but they're human interacting with other humans. And so it makes it much more almost personable, you know, and it, yeah. it makes it much more human for sure. Yeah. Even if you think about, I just coached a team, they were doing a, their big sales, annual sales thing, sales awards at the end of the year. And so I coached all of the people who were going to be presenting. And so what I did is I actually took and I watched a bunch, I had them watch a bunch of old Oscars and Grammys presenter awards. And there's a difference when someone walks up and they're clearly reading the teleprompter and they're not good at reading a teleprompter because they're not used to it because they're an actor. Yeah. And so it's very clear that they're, you know, saying like, and now we're going to hand away and it's so clear that they're not in the moment versus someone who comes out and is still probably reading the teleprompter or close to it, but it's just so in that moment with them. And there's something about your energy that can say so much there. And if you're worried about what am I going to say, what if it goes wrong, then you're worried about the wrong thing and you're not going to connect with that audience. Yeah. I think sometimes when it comes to, to improv, I think oftentimes we associate it with humor, being funny, comedy. Is that the same thing? Because again, we, we, I, in fact, it's funny you mentioned Second City. I actually saw a Second City show a couple of weeks ago. Hmm. And so uh, oftentimes it is in that humorous context is if I'm listening to this going, okay, I'm intrigued by improv, but is this going to make me more funny? Is this how I use humor? I don't feel like I'm that funny. How do those worlds kind of mesh together? Yeah. So, you know, there's this whole mixture of like stand-up comedy, improv, and it feels very much. And then there's the, the third world, which is sketch. So I imagine Second City, what, where were you at when you saw the show? Chicago? It, yeah, it was in Chicago. It was oh. one of their, we asked them if there was, the main show was sold out, the main stage was sold out. So we, it, we as a backup theater, but we, we couldn't get them to tell us it was a backup theater. No, 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 this is still <laughs> a really good show. We're like, uh, okay. It was so, so it was mostly sketch and a little bit of improv. Yeah. So, so there's those three things. There's stand-up, there's sketch, and there's improv. And improv is often used to come up with the content in the sketch shows. So like True. Saturday Night Live is really a sketch show. It's not improvised. All of that is scripted. It's all on cue cards. But they came up with those things in the writer's room through doing improv. So if you and I were in the writer's room, we would like improv a scene. And then the writers would kind of be like, okay, there, this is what was funny about that. Let's play with, you know, Grant became a guy who is really scared of food that comes in a bag. So right. what would happen if we took a guy that was scared of food in a bag and put him in other worlds? And then let's write something around that. And then they create shows. So that's sketch which is totally different and is like a mixture of improv and, and stand-up. It's, it's mostly writing and acting. Uh, stand-up is super rehearsed. Every moment on that stage, that person knows what they're going to say and it's all planned very well. And then improv is this other mixture of things. And so sometimes improv is funny. Sometimes improv is not funny. There's a school here in Los Angeles called Impro Theater. So it's improv without the V. And they do narrative improv. So they do improv, they do complete plays Tennessee will in this in the vein of Tennessee Williams, they're doing a Star Trek show right now. So it's all improvised using the themes and the tomes and the ideas from Tennessee Williams or from Star Trek or from film noir. And it's a whole play. So in Tennessee Williams, it's not that funny. Like it's some dark themes there. Improvised Shakespeare is another huge show that that it tours a lot. And so they use the ideas of Shakespeare to improvise something. And so sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's not. 
I think where the funny comes from in improv, and this is the thing that I think public speakers can take from improv, is funny in improv comes from everybody recognizing the humor in something that we all deal with. So a funny moment in improv is often not the slapstick joke. And a lot of times if you're the person in a, in a scene who keeps doing the like, the like quick joke, right. you're usually the person nobody wants to play with because you're ruining the scene. Yeah. Where the funny comes from in improv is people being like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I was thinking. Or, oh my gosh, that is just like my mom. And so that's what's funny about it. So when we watch Saturday Night Live and we see them do the scenes in that, the Californians show, <laughs> uh, what's funny about it is that at some point, We've probably seen a show or heard of someone talking about like taking the 405 to the 101 to the 110 to Marina Del Rey, which is where I live, Marina Del Rey. <laughs> That's why it's funny. It wasn't right. a really funny joke, actually. Right. It was funny because the reality in it we could all connect to and say, ah, that's so true. When we do a keynote, and I speak to a lot of HR audiences, so I'll make a joke around HR people, but it's usually not something that's like, HR people are so, I can't even think of a joke, but right. HR people it's are- It's not like a big punchline landing. It's not a punchline. It's like the ironic thing. It's yeah. the thing that's like, ah, that is so funny. What a weird thing. And so I do a whole series of like how people used to apply for jobs versus now. We talk about how they used to show up for interviews versus now. And there's no punchline. It's just like, oh my gosh, that's so funny because I hadn't thought of it that way. Right. And so as a public speaker, that's the funny that we're going for more than a series of stand-up jokes. Yep. You know. Seinfeld's a great example of he's more of an observational comedian, right? So whenever he's saying things as an audience member, you're just, you're, and I love the line, that's so true. When an audience member, when you see an audience member turn and say to a friend, that's so true, that is gold right there. Because then you're kind of entering the conversation that they're already having in their head. Or sometimes, oftentimes what makes good humor is when the, the audience gets to the punchline before you say it. So they feel yeah. like they're they're going with you. Yeah. But so, yeah. So I think, it, I think it's a great point though, that sometimes it can be used as a humor side and sometimes it can just be used as a serious side of just being able to something. I remember um, hearing a, a speaker friend that I know who was speaking in an event and someone in the back of the room had a heart attack, right? Well, you got to be able to improv in that situation and it's not a funny experience, right? So wow. you have to know how to, how do you rein the audience back in? How do you keep everybody calm? You know, those type of like crazy situations that you have to know how to to deal with. So, I mean, it seems like improv can be extremely valuable in the toolbox for speakers, both in a humorous way, but also just in a making sure that I'm staying engaged and connected and fully present with with the audience. Yeah. And it, you know what's interesting is the thing you said that, that really stuck to me as the difference is stand-up is saying, stand-up is usually like base reality, base reality, base reality, new base reality that has nothing to do with the first three. So it's surprising to the audience. Yeah. Improv is about like, ooh, I, I think he's going to say, I think he's going to say it, I think he's going to say it. And then you say it and they say, uh-huh, that's exactly what I knew. That's what's funny in improv. And one of the ways that I rate myself on stage a lot is how many times I see people do the look to their friend like, mm-hmm, that's, yep. yes, girl, that's true. He's talking and to so, you right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they look <laughs> at each other and like, mm-hmm, that's like Bill at the office. Because I'll talk <laughs> about, you know, operators or I'll talk about, you know, again, because I'm with HR people a lot. Yeah. And so I understand them, I get them. And so I'll say, you know, you're the managers who think this goes on and you see them look at each other and say, yep, that's happening at our company. Yeah. That's the moment when I know like, Ooh, I got them. Yeah. They know that I see them. They know that I get them. I got them. Right. Right. Nice. Well, Mike, appreciate the time, man. We appreciate you sharing some of these insights. Tell us uh, again, where, not only where we can find you, but also that guide you referenced earlier. Uh, where can we pick that up? 
Yeah, so it's just mikeganino.com. Uh, you can find me. And then if you do mikeganino.com slash the speaker lab, there's a guide with a bunch of stuff you can try out and become an improviser all by yourself. Beautiful. Thanks, man. We appreciate the time. Good stuff. Awesome. Thanks for having me. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Mike Ganino. Really good stuff there. And I and, uh, hope you again learned something about how to incorporate be, how to incorporate improv into your speaking. So really appreciate Mike taking the time to uh, to share some of his thoughts and insights. Hey, one of the things I'd like to always remind you is if you haven't already, definitely you want to check out our, our workshop that we do online, teaching you all about how to find and book paid speaking engagement. So I definitely encourage you to stop by, check out freespeakerworkshop.com. Again, that is freespeakerworkshop.com. Check out what we got going on over there. And we would love to uh, walk you through that, uh, that free training. So we'll see you uh, over there sometime soon. And again, we appreciate you listening to uh, the Speaker Lab podcast. Hope you have a great day. You're awesome.